I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. These are the words of the Apostles' Creed. And for most of Christian history, these words have summarized and articulated the essential beliefs of followers of Jesus. And during this season of Lent, as I mentioned in the beginning of our service today, I'm going to guide us on a journey of looking at each word and phrase of this creed. And as I've thought about this, I've put some questions aside for us to think about as we get into this. Like, why are they included? Why, why are certain words and certain phrases included in these essential beliefs that people have spoken, said, and read for over 1,500 years? What, what do these words mean? As we think about it, some of these words might be unfamiliar, they might raise questions, or they may seem confusing. So for folks who have been around the Apostles' Creed, maybe you come from a tradition where you've heard this before, you've said this many times, maybe there are still questions for you, though, about what does it mean, and what does it really mean for my life today? And what do I do with some of those words that maybe are unfamiliar, maybe they raise questions, maybe they seem confusing to me? How do I understand those words, and how do I see them as I articulate them? For others, you may be very unfamiliar with the Apostles' Creed. Maybe it's not something you grew up around. Maybe it's not something you've heard a lot. And that's a great place to be too. That's okay. We all come into this place looking at this with fresh eyes. Saying, what do these words mean and how can they help us? As we lean into looking at this, we're reminded that these are ancient words said by Jesus' followers for a long time. And my goal and my hope in all of this is to make these words fresh for us today. I think especially as we enter a time that we're in, a season we're in, uh, not, not just the season of this particular year, but in, in this season of the past several years, and really as we look at the world and how things have shifted over the last couple of decades, we try to understand and we try to find a place where we can find some foundation, where we can understand what it is we believe while we're asking important questions that we need to be asking. As we think about it and we want to look at this, we want to say, what is the essential faith? What does it mean to follow Jesus? There's all kinds of things that people have created and made foundations, all kind of litmus tests that people have created that make sort of this in and out and who's part and who's not part and all of this. And all of it is nonsense. And it's not helpful. And oftentimes those things have become these cultural things that we say, okay, well, you think this or think that or vote this way or vote that, then somehow you're in or somehow you're not. And that's not it. That's not helpful. That's not life-giving. And so as we look at this, what I want us to see is how does this help us to better follow Jesus? And summed up by Jesus, 
is what is it what does it mean it means to love god it means to love others jesus said that those are the greatest commandments those sum it up for all of us so how does this what is this teaching what is this creed by saying this how does that help ground us in that and help us understand what it means to follow jesus Now, last week we looked at the first two words, the words, I believe. In the original Latin of the Apostles' Creed, these two words are the word credo, which is where we get the phrase, uh, or get where we get the word creed. Now, I invite you to go back if you missed it, and I, I want you to go back and listen to that, because during that teaching, we looked at the story of a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus had asked Jesus about belief and was invited to experience this new way of life, one that we've all been invited to as we believe. But as I talked about last week, that just the word believe, and saying I believe, it is loaded, it feels like it's got all of this baggage that goes along with it. So I wanted to get into this concept and this idea of what does it mean to say I believe? Now, I know it's a lot to say, hey, go back and listen to this or think about this. Um, It is so essential. And I'll try to sum it up as best I can every week. But I think it's so essential as we look at the rest of these statements. Because I really, really want to be careful here. I don't want us to say that I believe in something static. I don't want to think of these statements as some kind of propositional truths that we just sort of just believe in. To say we believe or to say I believe has so much more going on. I talked about it last week, but just let me sum it up as best I can here. We say we believe because in these words, as we say these, as we talk about these, we find something that transforms, something that shifts us in how we see ourselves and those around us. Because these words are deeply rooted in our experience with God. So these words are not simply words that we say. They're not simply words on a page. These words help us to identify, articulate, understand our experience with God, both past, present, and future. So let's continue exploring these words and phrases as today we're going to look at the first full phrase of the Apostles' Creed, which says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And as I thought about this this week, as I reflected on these words, and as I've kind of thought about this series over the past couple months kind of leading up to this, I looked at that and I wanted to say, what is a question that comes to mind? What is a tension that we find when we say one of these phrases? As we like to say around here, it's within those tensions that we often find the place that we learn best. But sometimes we get our tensions mixed up, and you're going to see that today, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit. So listen to this again. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. For me, this naturally took me to the book of Genesis, to the creation story. That begins, in the beginning, God created. Now listen to these words from Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now there are three kinds of tension we experience in life. Tension to be solved, tension to be managed, intention to be let go of. Right? So three kinds of tension. Tension to be solved, tension to be managed, intention to let go of. And one of the best things that we can do in our relationships, in our careers, and in our faith is to understand the difference between these three kinds of tensions. And I tell you that and I say that because the opening words of Genesis have created tension in our modern world Because this passage seems to be inviting us to make a choice. It's tempting us, it seems like, to think about this in a certain kind of tension that maybe we need to manage. Maybe there's a tension here that we need to solve. Now, the first option seems to be, that again, that seems to be the choice here. The first option invites us to ignore the Bible and to embrace science. So we read this and we feel this tension. We think, okay, well, I read this and now I have to make a choice. Am I going to believe in science or am I going to believe in the Bible? The second option invites us to embrace the Bible and ignore science. And let me say this clear. This dichotomy creates controversy, anxiety, and tension. But is that a tension to be solved, managed, or let go? I think the answer to that question is how we read passages like this. If we read these passages literally as some kind of science book, we create that tension between science and faith. But that tension is unnecessary. It's unhelpful. It misses the point. Those words are not meant to be read as some kind of science book. The idea that these ancient biblical words have to be compatible with modern scientific understandings that we know today is a relatively recent phenomenon. The reality is that science and faith are not mutually exclusive. Perhaps it might be comforting or maybe not comforting, but hopefully it's comforting to hear your pastor say these words. I believe in Jesus. I believe in evolution. I believe in the ever-expanding universe. And I believe in the ever-expanding love of God. I don't think any of those things are mutually exclusive. So if you hold anxiety, when you read these words or hear these words in Genesis said, and you hold an anxiety that you have to choose faith or science or science and faith, here's what I invite you to do with that tension. I don't invite you to manage it. I don't invite you to solve it. I invite you to simply let it go. Because that's not the purpose of the text. Scientific curiosity about the wonder of our world is one of the gifts that God has given us and one that we should pursue. And we should also pursue the study of Scripture with an equal passion. 
And here's something I wrote down, something that I want to say to you. When I chose to do that, when I chose to say I am going to be curious about the world and the universe, and I'm going to be curious and I'm going to wonder about the scriptures, I found a depth to these passages in Genesis that I'd never known before because I wasn't looking for it. But once I saw it, I found this statement, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, has even more profound meaning. And that's what I want to show you today. As I sat down, and as I thought about this sermon, and it, took, it, it, was, it was a, this was a little bit longer one than I've normally written and, and thinking about and having to process. And there were many moments I went upstairs to get some coffee and I thought, where am I going and how am I putting all this together? But one thing I kept coming back to is, I want to tell you, I'm excited for you to see that there is something greater in these passages that you can hold on to it, that you can believe in, that you can understand, that you can tell other people about. Because I think in this world today, there's something awesome when we look at people and say, hey, that faith that you're questioning, this idea that you have to choose faith or science, it's a false dichotomy. There's something greater going on here that is so life-changing, so impactful, that makes a difference for you and me. It makes a difference for the world around us. That's what I want you to see. I don't want you to see that there's some kind of false choice taking place in these passages. I want you to see the beauty of what we find here. As the author who wrote this wrestles with, what does it mean to be a relationship with God in this world around us? What does that look like? See, that's what I found here. There's a depth of this that is so cool. If we read these passages in light of our faith and relationship with God as they were meant to be read, rather than as some kind of science book, we find a different kind of tension, a good kind of tension, and that's what I want to show you today. Read the right way, in light of our faith and relationship in God, we find a good tension. And to explore that tension... We need to look further in the book of Genesis. We need to see this passage within the context of the book of Genesis. And we need to focus away from this one text. Rather than getting hyper-focused on this one text, we need to pull back and we need to see it within the context of a larger story taking place. And it's a pattern that the author shows that all of us has struggled with. And by all of us, I mean all of humanity has struggled with. But to get there, we need to move a bit further. So let's continue this journey. And we're going to go to Genesis 1, 26. And I'm going to be a lot more in my notes this week because I want to stay on track and I've got a lot that I want us to cover. So let's keep going. Let's go to Genesis 1, 26. Then God said. So first we have, sorry, Jill, I'm going to jump back for a second. First we have in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And now we jump forward to Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So the first chapter of Genesis is the first story of creation that we read in the book of Genesis. And here's what I want you to see. There are actually three creation stories to be found. So we have this story where we have God created the heavens and the earth. And then we have God saying, let us make mankind in our image. And then we have this word may rule over, which is actually a more word that means more like steward, to tend, to care for. 
So God says, come alongside with me and steward this creation. And then we see another creation story, just a chapter later, that comes right after this one. And that begins in chapter 2 of Genesis, as we find the story of Adam and Eve. Purely translated from the Hebrew, their names would be closer to something like Mr. Dirt and Mrs. Life. And it always helps me to think about that and always think about how that would be directly translated, but it helps me to see what this story is really about. This story is meant to help us process the meaning of humanity. It gives us some people, some metaphor of what it looks like to begin to move away from our Creator. And so that's what we see taking place in that story. God creates, he invites, he says, steward this creation with me. And then we begin to see in Mr. Dirt and Mrs. Life as they begin to say, hey, I think maybe we're going to move away. Maybe we're going to do our own thing. And then as we see people moving away from God, we come to a story a little bit later where humanity moves entirely away from God and seeks to build and create on their own. And so we now see another creation story. We have the creation story of God creating. We have the story of God inviting us to create along with God. Then we see ourselves beginning to move away from God. And then we get to a story where man creates completely without God. And listen to that story with me. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. We'll come back to why that's important. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now this is a fascinating story, and it's a weird story. And it should cause us to ask all kinds of questions. It reads like a parable. And that's how we want to read this story. We don't normally look at this story and say, hey, this is literally what's taking place. This is how we got languages that we got. We study languages. We study how they develop. But the story, as we see it, when we look at it, we know there's something else going on here. There's something within us, our intuition that says there's something else taking place in that story. And if we just held it on its own, again, just like we do with all these other stories, if we just hold the creation story on our own, we miss something. If we just hold Adam and Eve on its own, we miss something. If we take this story and we just hold it on its own, we miss something. But what we want to do is we want to be invited to see how these stories interplay together. What is happening? What is the pattern that's taking place in these stories? So let's review what we're seeing so far, and let's see what's happening here. In the first chapter of Genesis, we begin with God creating, calling creation good. Then God creates humanity and calls us very good. Then we continue, we discover a story of humanity rejecting God, choosing their own path. And then we find this story, a rebelling humanity 
devoid of God's presence, leading to a reality of division and disunity. A story that we often call the Tower of Babel. And if we read Genesis like this, we see this pattern developing. God desiring a relationship with us, creating and stewarding in unity with God. And we see humanity striving to create it on our own, choosing our own path to glory. Now, that's not where the story ends. Because then in Genesis 12, God begins the act of reconciling humanity and inviting humanity into a restored relationship. And God begins with a man named Abram. The Lord said to Abram in Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now, we're going to see here as we compare what is happening And we're going to start to see a tension developing and why this tension matters so much. Now look at this. We have a couple uh, slides here that we created to help us see this. Genesis 11 begins, they said to each other. Genesis 12 says, God said to Abram. In Genesis 11, it says, come, let's make bricks. And Genesis 12 says, I will make you. Now, let me pause for a second here and pull off my notes for a second and just talk about this. Come, let's make bricks. If we go back to the story, we see here that it says, they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Now, that seems like kind of just a throwaway line that we, we kind of say, okay, so great. They used bricks instead of stone. Well, that's not a big deal until you see the progress that's taking place. They're using their minds. They're inventing. They're creating something that allows them to do something incredible and amazing. And I don't think God is against their ability to use their mind. God loves our minds. He created us. He gave us his image, his creative skills, his ability to think and manage all these things. So they began to have progress. They began to use their talents and their gifts, but they began to use those for their own ends. And that's what it's pointing to. Come, let's make bricks. Let's use our progress to do something. Now look what it says here. I will make you. Now we keep going. Then it says, let us build for ourselves a city. So now we have a vision, an idea of what we're trying to do. In Genesis 12, God says, I will make you a great nation. Going back to Genesis 11, he says, let's make a name for ourselves. And here's the big one. Let's make a name for ourselves. And in Genesis 12, God says, I will make your name great. So there's our tension. Our tension that began from the very onset of creation. This idea that here is humanity standing in awe of an incredibly wonderful, amazing creator God. And then we say, we could just do it on our own. We could do our own thing. We can build our own city. We can make our own names great. Do we really need God? And we see this shift 
away from God. So how did we get there? How, how did we get there? And how do we get to this place where God looks at Abram and says, I want to restore, I want to reconcile, I want to bring you back into this relationship. I want to show you what I've been trying to do and why this direction, this way is not what I wanted. How did we get there? Well, again, we have to look at the story in a larger context and we back up one chapter. Genesis 10. Listen to this. It says, Cush was the father of Nimrod who became a mighty warrior on the earth. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Canel, and Shinar. So now we meet a person named Nimrod. We're told that he is a mighty warrior on the earth. So he conquers He's about conquest, making his name great, no matter who gets in his way. And then we're told the first centers of his kingdom, his kingdom. So he was building something for himself. And he said, in the center of that kingdom, that's going to be the biggest spot and the place that people come to, to revel in what he has created in his kingdom, are Babylon, and Uruk, Akkad, and Canel. And it's in this valley of Shinar, where this man named Nimrod, which, by the way, means rebel, began an empire built around a city called Babylon, or Babel. See, the story of Nimrod is a warning about what happens when greed and ego and power becomes the focus. Nimrod represents the full rebellion away from God and joining God in stewarding and creating and partnering with all of humanity together and instead says, I will go build on my own. I will call out to everyone, let's make bricks. Let's build a tower. Let's create this place called Babel or Babylon where he revels in his own ego and in his own power and in his own kingdom. And it's a warning to us what happens. Division and disunity that takes place. And here's the thing, while this story may start in Genesis, we don't have to look back in history to see people focused on empire building with technology at their disposal, having the capacity to create suffering. As I've opened the news, as I've watched TV this week, I continue to read things about someone focused on empire building with incredible technology at their disposal, causing incredible suffering. And for what? To create their own empire and to make their own name great. If we don't learn from history, if we don't learn from the stories that we're being told, we have the capacity to repeat them. But here's what I want you to hear. This is a warning for all of us, pointing to attention within all of us. I I've been waiting all week to say this 
we are all nimrods. And while that word makes me think about Green Day or makes me think of the insult, what I mean is this. Nimrod in Genesis 10 is who we can become. As we're tempted by greed and ego and power, we're all tempted to ignore God and seek our own empires and build our own towers. And all of those towers might look different and they all may have different names, but what they all end up with is us at the top overlooking the grand kingdom that we have somehow thought that we have created. And we all have a tendency to do this. We all have a tendency to say that others are in my way of making my own kingdom great. And that's not what God wants for us. That's not what God wants for the church. That's not what God wants for his people. That's not what God desires for the world. And that's the point of what Genesis is trying to teach us. And I get so mad when we miss the point. I get so mad we get hyper-focused on taking stuff out of context, making it about something else, because we miss what God is really trying to do for us, which is bring love and justice and mercy and grace into this world and push back against the empire building that we see in others and in ourselves. And if we miss it, if we get it wrong, if we created some kind of litmus test about something it's not about, we screw it up and we miss it. And we miss the beauty of the scripture. I love the Bible. I absolutely love these words because these are people who wrestle with things the way that we wrestle with them, that show us what humanity looks like if it doesn't have a love for God and a love for others and a love for this creation. It says stop messing up everything. Stop messing up the love that you should have for each other. Stop hurting this world that is so beautiful and so incredible. It is a gift that we have been given. Yet somehow we continue to think it's a resource that others and that this creation are just a resource to be used for our own good. What a weak way to look at the world. What a terrible way to see this incredible creation we have before us. And what a, what a terrible way to treat others around us. God desires so much better for you and for me to live life in the full presence of God, our creator. To live life as Jesus is our savior. The Holy Spirit is our sustainer. The church is our community. And don't miss this, as he blesses the world through us. The whole world. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't get him to get on my soapbox. Man, imagine how different things would look. Imagine how different things would look if we saw it this way. This is why I love these passages. This is why I love getting past a surface level reading and seeing that there's so much more going on. This is why we have to be asking better questions because we come to better answers and maybe even better questions see if we believe like this if we believe what we're seeing here to believe means this and I just finished writing this down this morning to believe this means to believe To believe doesn't mean to believe. 
and a very narrow-minded approach to how God created, but means something so much more deep and profound. It means to believe that there's a God who loves us, sees good in us, and desires for us to be who we are created to be. It means to believe in a God who wants to work in and through us as we steward the wondrous world around us through our giftedness in joining God in making a more loving, good, justice-filled world. As I look at all of this, I see this tension in my own life. I see this tension in society. I see this tension in our world. And this tension is a tension that I think we need to recognize and feel. That all of us are tempted to say, hey, I'm just going to do my own thing. You know, this is my life to do what I want to do with it. Instead of realizing the gift that we have been given. All of this universe, all of this wonderful creation, all of the incredible reality that we see around us leads to you and to me and all the people around us, and all of this beautiful, incredible world. Why in light of that, why would I trade all of that for my kingdom? Instead of joining God and what God is doing in this world, I want to join God and create a good, justice-filled, loving world. The world that God wants us to live in. That He has created for us. That's the world that I want to be a part of. And that's how I want to read this text and see this tension so that I don't miss the point, but that I give my life to Jesus and I say, Lord, do with me what you need to do. Help me to partner with you and with others in making an impact and difference in this world, reconciling, redeeming, renewing, and restoring the goodness that you intended for us all. Let's pray. God, help us to have minds that are open, to see the vastness of your creativity. Help us to be endlessly curious and help us to never stop asking questions. 
As we do that, God, may we see how we are a part of something so much bigger, something so much more amazing that we can ever even wrap our head around. And then, God, as we look around and we see that macro reality around us, help us to recognize in this moment, in this day, in this space, in this place that we find ourselves in, that we can live out your ever-expanding love for this world as we love those immediately around us. Let us join you, God and having a love for this world that knows no ends. And help us be people who steward and care for this world and for each other. God, may we do as our mission and our vision says as a church, to love God, to love others, bring life to our community and our world. God, we love you and we thank you for these stories that challenge us, that convict us, and that help us to ask good questions. And it's in your name that we pray today. Amen.